Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. husband, I think, is trying to get some brownie points because here's what he did. I think he was sitting in the office a couple weeks ago and he said, you know what? I'm going to travel clear across across the country. I'm going to leave my wife with four children on the opening week of all of their games. And then I'm going to ask her to prepare for woven groups that night so that she can come and host that. You know what would make it easier if I asked her to speak on a Sunday because I know how much she loves that, right? So here we are. If you're new here and I don't do this justice, please come back next week. I promise. We have an incredible team of volunteer staff and my husband, my favorite communicator in all the world. He'll be back. Speaking of my husband, he is over in the Philippines. It wasn't an easy trip to get him over there. On Monday evening, I dropped him off at 9 p.m. at the airport. His flight actually took off at 12 o'clock. A.M., yes, 12 o'clock A.M., got on the flight, and he texted me, said, I'm not sure how much service I'll have, but if I don't uh, talk to you in the next few hours, I won't have service. If I text you, I'll I'll let you know or whatever. So I went to bed. Around 2 a.m., my phone starts going off. I thought, oh, well, Jeremy must have service in the air. And the first text said, you will not believe what just happened. And I thought, oh, my gosh. But then he said, service is a little spotty. I'll let you know in a few minutes. And I thought, well, that is mean. It's 2 a.m. I'm supposed to be asleep. You're in the air. Come to find out there was a lady on the plane who had taken, she is okay. I need to start the story to say, like, all of this ends well. She is okay. But a lady stands up to go to the restroom, and she collapses onto the floor. They, the um, flight attendants holler for some help. She happened to be right in front of Jeremy. Jeremy was traveling with another pastor, Pastor J.C. Worley from Go Church. So they rushed to stand up, and they were able to pull her over in front of Jeremy. Here's a, here's a picture of this. They pull her over in front of Jeremy, and this nurse practitioner begins to try to check her pulse and she says I cannot find a pulse so a flight attendant then throws Jeremy a stethoscope which then he puts on and he says I've got a pulse now knowing the lady is fine that's funny you can laugh thinking of my husband on the plane saying I've got a pulse it's it's funny um so he's got this stethoscope here, and in one hand, he's got the little blood pressure cuff. He said somebody, when he was younger, taught him how to check blood pressure, so he began to keep this lady's stats, the blood pressure thing. And so the, the airline attendants keep coming up. This ended up being a four-hour ordeal of Jeremy keeping her stats. JC, they actually handed JC all of the IV stuff and asked Pastor JC to insert the IV, to which he said, you know what, I think I'm going to let you guys do that. So he just figured out a way to kind of rig the IV bag up in the airplane or whatever. They decided after several hours that they were going to turn around and get her to Anchorage, Alaska. That was the next quickest flight uh, place to land. I'm sorry. I'm all kinds of making noise up here. But they were going to turn around to Anchorage, Alaska. Well, I don't know if you know or that you're aware the weather in the Philippines is 95 degrees. That is not the case in Anchorage, Alaska. So they landed in Anchorage. They got the lady off safely. By the time the flight ended, she was up and about. She had taken some NyQuil to help her sleep and it was just a little too much for her system um, on an empty stomach. So she ended up being just fine, but they got to Anchorage. The, at the end of this flight, though, the flight attendants come up and they're like, sir, what hospital in Georgia do you work at? <laughs> and he said, ma'am, I am so sorry if I have given you the impression. I'm not a doctor. I am a pastor to which she said, oh my gosh, I have said so many ugly words. I am so sorry. <laughs> he 
he said, it's okay. It's okay. And so they begin to give him updates as though he's somebody important. It was hilarious. Um, then the plot pilot, who was very shaken up, comes walking to the back and said, sir, you are a hero of the sky. And gives him those little airplane, like, pin. He wore it proudly. He sent all of us pictures of it. It was incredible. He gets to Anchorage, Alaska, and they give him vouchers. that They think they're going to take off right away. Then they decide they need to let the pilot sleep. So he gets off at in Anchorage, and they give them a hotel voucher. They get to the hotel. They said, man, sir, it is way too early in the morning. We have no rooms available. So there they were for 13 hours in Anchorage, Alaska, enclosed, ready for the Philippines, and they drive around Anchorage. They get back on the plane. They take another 10-hour flight to get to Seoul. When they get to Seoul, they are told that they do not have enough seats on this flight for them. They were given an 18-hour layover in Seoul. They finally, finally get to the Philippines. What was supposed to be on Tuesday ended up on Friday. But they have had 63 hours of travel. And after 63 hours of travel, he called. He said, we've had 11 hours of sleep in 63 hours. They were exhausted and hungry. And they said, we've worn the same clothes for four days. We probably really need a shower. <laughs> so they got there. They've had fruitful ministry while they've been there. They've made up a lot of time in just a few days. And so they were able to feed almost 10,000 kids. You'll hear more about that in a little while. They do the sidewalk ministry there that you also faithfully support. And so they went into these villages yesterday and fed a little over 10,000 kids, um, which he said was unbelievable. Yes. And then Pastor Garrett, our missions director, he put on this incredible golf tournament last year. The funds went to raise money to put two, two of these students into ministry training school. Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy got to meet those students yesterday. It was powerful. So I can't wait to hear what your all's giving has done for them over there. It's been wonderful. And I'm glad my husband is safe and I'm ready for him to return home this week. I've had six games. I've jumped off a car. I'm proud of myself. I, I, I've single mom. I, I grew up with a single mom. Thankfully, she taught me how to jump off a car. Cooper's car died, me and Branson. We did it. We got it jumped off, didn't we, V? I'm ready for my husband to come home, though. This week, we are looking at deep change. We've been in this series for four weeks. This is week five. Next week, we begin a brand new series called Real Families. You're not going to want to miss it. I promise you're going to want to be a part of it. It's really good. I've gotten to be a part of some of the planning of that material. And so you're going to want to be a part of it. It's going to be really good. We all have real families, right? Real families. And so we're going we're gonna to be looking at that in the next coming week. But today, we're week five of deep change. Deep change has been this idea idea of looking kind of deep inside of our lives, this feeling our feelings and this facing our past and changing our habits, but it hasn't been for like self-help reasons. We haven't been looking at these things just to better our lives. We've been looking at these things in an attempt to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And oftentimes throughout life, you know, the things of our past take up large pieces of our heart and our mind, our thoughts, our souls. And so this deep change is this idea of looking into those areas and freeing up space for us to be able to love God more fully, right? And so I think they have this chart. We've looked at how all of our actions affect our beliefs and, you know, all of our desires affect our beliefs, which affect our emotions and our thoughts, which then in turn reflect our actions. And so today we're looking at this idea of embracing your limits, embracing your limits. We all have limits, right? We all have these, these limitations in our lives. You know how you know if you're limited or not 
or when you've reached your limit? Have you ever been going throughout life and you're busy and the busyness is fine and work is fine and family is fine, but all of a sudden none of it's fine and you realize you're going to and from and you're short-tempered and you're exhausted, like you've reached your limit, right? Maybe as a mom you've even found yourself saying like, I've had it up to here with you, right? You've reached your limit, Well, we all have limits, and so this week we are looking at the idea of embracing our limits, and each week we've watched this kind of what we call a bump video. It's this intro video, and it says this, I want you to imagine for a moment a life that feels unhurried and unworried, a life that exudes patience, peace, and freedom from the obsession of other people's opinions of you, a life of genuine humility that serves others without keeping score, a life of true contentment, not striving to prove something, a life free of secret sin and resentment. Well, I don't know about you, but I think I just summed up my week, and it was very hurried and a little bit worried. So this seems a little bit impossible, right? The idea of having a life that's unhurried and unworried. And when I talk about these things, I'm not talking about busy. Like, we're all busy. We all have things. We're either in school or we've got our jobs or we've got our family or we've got our career or we've got church or we've got our volunteer thing. Like, we're all busy. This deep change isn't looking at this idea of busyness. It's looking at the areas of our life that maybe feel chaotic that take up these deep places in our soul, these deep places in our life that produce this like underlying chaos that maybe on the outside we look like we have it all together, but inside there is all this stuff that just feels so hurried and worried and chaotic. So this idea of embracing our limits is really looking at this idea of where this chaos comes from. Maybe for you, this idea of chaos comes from money. Maybe money, although in and of itself, is not, none of these things are sinful on their own. Maybe some unwise, but none sinful. But maybe for you, money produces chaos. Maybe you're overspent. Maybe you're underpaid. Maybe you have too much debt. Maybe you have too many bills. Anytime that happens, there's this internal sense of chaos, right? You can go through your life and keep the appearance of things being okay, but chaos inside. Maybe it's your job. You're trying to earn your keep or you're trying to work up the ladder. Maybe it's as simple as your kids' sports games or their routines. You're so worried about their performance or if they're giving their best effort or what the people in the stands may think of you as a parent or what they may think of your child as a player. Like whatever that is, maybe you can't sit at a game in peace because there's chaos involved with the feelings that come with some of those moments. Maybe for you it's as simple as your phone. Maybe your phone produces chaos. This idea that you would always be available, that there's no off time, that anybody can reach you at any point. And so you pick up your phone and you have a text on it that says, I sent you an email. So not only did the person send you an email, they sent you a text to tell you they sent you an email. And so now their important thing becomes your important thing because now you've got the email and the text and you have to respond. And don't hear what I'm not saying. We all need to, to fulfill our job and work hard. But it's this idea of never getting to rest, always feeling on. And all of those things pile up inside of our heart, inside of our lives, inside of our soul, 
they produce this chaos, and then we reach our limit, right, to be able to fully love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's this beautiful story in Scripture. If you've been around church any length of time, you've probably heard it. Maybe if you've attended on Mother's Day a time or two, you've looked at this Scripture. It's in Luke 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there, Luke 10, 38 through 42. If you don't, it will be on the screen. It says this. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he taught. But Mary was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister would sit here while I do all the work? Tell her to get up and help me. Now, right there, if you have sibling, if you have kids in your home, this is probably an argument you've heard a time or two, right? Like one's done more work. And it's very obvious right here in this story that Mary is the younger sibling, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mary's she's doing nothing, and I'm doing all of the work. Lord, tell her to get up and help me. But Mary, the Lord said, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the details, right? There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. So here's Mary and Martha. Martha's prepared this big dinner. She welcomes Jesus into her home, and she wants to be this good host, right? If you've ever had somebody come to your home, you like frantically clean baseboards, like, who's coming into your house looking at baseboards, but suddenly you're cleaning them, right? So you start cleaning baseboards, and you prepare this dinner, and you start like, you know, now that I think it's like charcuterie boards are this big thing, so you start making roses out of meat. Like, we do that now. Like, you, have you seen it where you put like the like salami around? You start making roses. Like, you're preparing this dinner, this feast for these people to come. That's what Martha was doing. So all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, and Mary, the younger sister, has a seat. And Martha's busy making sure everybody has everything that they need to eat and everything that they need to drink. And Mary's still just sitting there. And you know, for a few minutes before Martha probably like mustered up the courage to say anything, was living with a little bit of resentment, right? She probably is like laying down dishes a little harder, like, you know, like proving a point without saying anything. She's probably making a little bit more of a mess. Like, and then finally she's had enough. She reached her limit. And she said, Jesus, make her get up and do something. Make her help me. And Jesus in turn says like the thing that seems like unfair. No, she's doing what she's supposed to do. The point of this story isn't that Mary or that Mary wanted to be or Martha wanted to be a good host, excuse me. It wasn't that Martha wanted to be a good host. There's nothing wrong with that, right? This is not a story about busyness. This is not a story about productivity. This is not a story about hard work. We should work hard, right? We should be the best employees in the world, in your business. You should be the best student in your school, all in the name of Jesus, right? You should work hard. This is not a story about hard work. This is a story about self-worth. This is not a sin issue. That's what we said at the beginning of this, right? Money isn't sinful in and of itself. 
Cheering at a sports game isn't sinful in and of itself. These are not working hard. That's a good thing. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. Like hard work is expected of us. We should work hard. This is not a story of hard work. But Jesus did correct her. He said, Mary you're, or Martha, you're distracted. You've got, you got chaos going on. You're, you're undone. You're worried. And Mary has the right idea here. It wasn't what she was doing. It was when she was doing it, right? And there was a moment that Martha could have paused, even in the middle of wanting to be the best host, and recognize the moment that she was, in fact, in the presence of Jesus. But she felt as though her self-worth came from what she could produce, and that who she was was not enough. Let me remind you today that there is nothing that you can do to earn your value. The Bible says that you were bought with the price, the highest price. Anytime something has value, you go to the store, it has a tag on it. That is, with the amount you're going to pay for it, that is its value. Your value comes from nothing that you can produce on your own. Your value is given to you the moment that God created you in the womb of your mother. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says, great are my works. You can't earn your value. That was paid for you on the cross. But oftentimes, if we really do, if we're really seeking and desiring this deep change, to empty up some of these places in our life so that we can more fully fulfill the greatest commandment. The disciples asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And so if this is what we're striving to do, we've got we've to look deep inside of our lives and figure out where the chaos is coming from. Because the chaos isn't necessarily coming from money, right? But maybe it's money that's causing the chaos because maybe you, like so many others, you are not alone. Maybe the chaos for money comes because you have this deep belief that your worth is found in the opinions of others. So you're spending money you don't have to, like, to show people something about who you are in an attempt that they may think more highly of you, Right? Spending money we don't have to impress people we don't even know because we believe if we really dig down deep that our worth comes from the opinions of others, maybe. Maybe it's your job that creates this chaos. Climbing the ladder to prove you're somebody, to accomplish more than anybody ever thought possible. This I'll show them kind of attitude. Maybe that produces chaos in you because you have this belief that you have to prove your worth, that you are only worth what you can do, right? That's, a, that's what Martha's belief was. I've got to do all this stuff. That's how I show God I have value, show Jesus I have value. Maybe your worth comes from, or maybe the chaos of your life comes from your phone. People pleaser, you don't want to disappoint, you never want to let anybody down. Maybe you hold this deep belief that they only like you because you never let them down, Right? They only like you because you're available or you don't disappoint or you keep the peace. 
Maybe it's sports or activities or extracurriculars or hobbies or whatever it is, whether a parent or a player, and you, it's not just competitive, but like you live and die by a win or loss because you hold this deep belief that your value comes from your performance. If I win, I'm worth something. They can see my value if I win. If I lose, though, I lose value because I didn't perform the way they think I should perform. Again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. None of these things are innately wrong. I sit and cheer at every one of my kids' sports games. I try my best to respond to texts in a timely manner, although I don't always have my phone with me. You should want your, a promotion on your job. There is nothing wrong with wanting a raise for the hard work that you've done. But if we take a minute to pause and look deep within ourselves, what is the thing we have to evaluate, the chaos that those things bring, is the motivation behind each of them that causes us to place our value in all the wrong things, right? Your value comes from him, Jesus, and him alone. And looking at the story of Mary and Martha, he's trying to tell us there's nothing you can do to earn my love. Being with me, a relationship with me, is really what I desire most. I have a, I have a little example I want to show you. This, this represents your life. One, one life. You can do whatever you want to do in this life, really. Right? You can become, really, whatever you want to become. Be whatever you want to be. This is the one life that God has given you. And then we have all of these things that we fill our lives with, right? These golf balls, they're going to represent the big things in our life, okay? They're going to represent, like, our faith, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with the church, right? Our family, our, our kids, all, all the big things, and our, our purpose, right? The thing that God's called us to. These, these are all the, the big things in our lives. And they fill up these places of who we are. And I think we would all look at this and we would say, this jar is full. It's full of all these big things, right? It's full, right? Yeah, yeah, it's full. I'm going to give you the, the, the cheat code. It's full, except it's not, right? And then we have these pebbles, these rocks, and these represent all the other kind of big things in your life, right? This is your job. This is school. This is your friends. This is all your volunteer work. These are, these are all the, the good things that fill up the other places of our life. And now we would look at this and we'd go, whoa, that, that is really full, right? Then we, have, then we have all the other stuff. This is sand, if you can't see. Sand. It's, it's all the other just little things that take up our time, the unexpected, right? We thought the jar was full, but then all this little stuff just takes up more, I'm covering up, I'm sorry, takes up more and more space. The Bible says that Jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the full. This jar is full. 
none of these things are bad. But this jar has reached its limit, right? The problem is, is we get involved in our story, and oftentimes the things, the reason we have chaos is because we take all of the little things in our lives and we put them at the foundation of our life and they take up so much room in our life that suddenly we don't have room for all the big things. I promise it's the same amount of golf balls. There's, there's not room. And these things aren't bad. But this jar has reached its limit. And it can't hold the important things anymore. It's starting to make noise, right? It's starting to be short-tempered. Lose it on their friends and family. It's full. There is less in this jar than there is in this one. And I could still put the lid on it if I wanted to. If I had the right one. It's full. But there's less in this one. Oftentimes in our own life, we fill our souls. We fill our lives with things that just aren't that important. They're not wrong. You can have all of those things. Jesus wants you to have all of those things. The problem is, is when we take all of the things and we put them in place of our relationship with Jesus. We put them in place of our relationship with our kids. We put them in place of what God has called us to all of these are the big things and they all fit if we keep them in the right order thank you it was a good catch my kids have taught me well it's a good catch and so if we're looking for this deep change within us this is chaos I can't make it all work it doesn't all fit This works. So if we're looking at deep change, to love the good, to love the Lord our God more fully with all that we are, we can still work and work hard. We can still be the best host and make all the salami roses you want to make. But it can't take the place of the important things in your life. And so when we look back at the story of Martha and Mary, it's not that Martha was wrong. It wasn't what she was doing. It was when she was doing it. Your value, your self-worth cannot be found in the things that you do. You reach your limit. And looking at the idea of deep change, we actually have to embrace our limits. Recognizing that when we give it all to God, 
He says, I will give you exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. It's really getting our soul, the chaos out of our lives, our soul in order. And we can have and do all the things. None are evil. None are bad. We just can't put our self-worth, our value into those things. I'm going to tell on myself, Cooper is my oldest. We have four kids. Cooper plays the drums. Branson plays the bass. You'll have to see Tucker singing and Kinley leads worship upstairs. They serve all over the church. But Cooper is a senior in high school. And so as any mom who's already had kids or even dads who have already had kids graduate in this room, you know, not only is it a busy season, it comes with a lot of like stuff, right? I found myself over the last few months probably to an unhealthy level of evaluating, oh my gosh, have I taught him enough? Like I jumped off his car this week. He doesn't know how to jump off a car. What is he going to do? You know, that kind of stuff. Is he going to... I feed him every meal. Is he going to be able to eat? Like, is he going to be able Like, you evaluate. Does he know enough about Jesus? Have I taught him enough about that his worth doesn't come from the things that he does? But simply because God created him and his worth comes from simply being who he is and not anything to do. Have I taught him enough? And so recently we took a trip, I guess it was a couple of Fridays ago, we went down, he's going to go play baseball at Lee University, so excited for him. So we took a trip down there to look at the dorms, he needed to get some stuff from the baseball coach there, and so he, and some uniform things to try on, and it was such a, a neat experience, I, I genuinely am beyond thrilled for him. But I got in the car, we were talking about all kinds of stuff, later that night he had gotten, we had gotten back home, he had gotten out of the car. And I, was, I started to evaluate how quickly we got here. Now, don't get me wrong. Every parent everywhere has always told a younger mom, it goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. It really does. And so I was thinking about my youngest is in sixth grade. And so, yes, I know I still have seven years of kids in my home. But I know how quickly we went from sixth grade with Cooper to this to this and I was thinking my goodness and I, I was talking to Jeremy one night and I said my, if I'm not a mom who am I like if I'm not dropping off forgotten lunch boxes at least three times a week who am I right if I'm not fixing and making beds and doing laundry for a lot of people who am I Right? If, I, if I'm not pep talking and relationship advice, all the, who am I? And don't get me wrong, even when he graduates, I will fully be his mother. Even when he's married, I will fully be his mother. No, but, but who am I? And then Jeremy says, hey, I need, I need you to talk about embracing your limits and your self-worth. And who you are. Well, that's fair. Thank you. Appreciate that. We do all of these things. And, and it is no problem that any of those things kind of define pieces of our life. I am a mom. 
being Jeremy's wife and the mother to these four children and the pastor's wife to this place, they are my three greatest honors in all of the world. And I do not say that lightly. They are my greatest honors. But it's not who I am, right? I am first and foremost a child of God, called of God, created by God. We say all the time here, you were created on purpose for a purpose. Those are not just things we say because they sound good. And that sounds good, right? It goes, flows smooth. We don't just say that. The Bible said that he created you in your mother's womb. He saw you being knit together. You were not an accident. He needed you here for something. You were created on purpose, for a purpose. And then we get to do all of these incredible things in life. You get to be a student. You get to have a job, a good job. Hopefully one you really, really like. And I hope you make a lot of money. And then I hope you give your tithe and offering to Generations Church. No, I'm just kidding. No, I do. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to have life and have it to the full. He just wants you to make sure that it doesn't create chaos within you, within your soul, that you can't love him with everything that you are. So embracing our limits is as much about your self-worth is as much about your value and is as much about your priorities than actually your limits. Let's pray today. If you're in the room today and you would say that I I don't know that my value comes from Jesus and him alone. I I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Can I first and foremost tell you that if you decide to accept Jesus today, I'm not saying that your life would be perfect, but I am saying that it would be the greatest decision you've ever made. And who you are will be completely different tomorrow because your value is placed in something different. And if you would say in this room, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, it would be my honor to pray with you. Would you just raise your hand today? You would say, I need a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe today you would say, I need to be reminded of my value, of my worth, of who I am in Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand for me? Thank you. And maybe today you would say, like, life is busy, and that's okay. But I need to recognize that some of these things have created some unnecessary, undue chaos in my life because I've gotten it out of order. I've made the big stuff, the big things, the big, the small stuff, the big things. And I need, I need to change some of the priorities of my life, the focus of my life. If that's you, would you do me the honor to raise your hand and allow me to pray with you? Thank you so much. Let's pray today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everyone that's in this room. I pray for those that don't know you, that they would come to the saving grace, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and their lives, their hearts would be forever changed. 
very eternities would be forever changed because of you and the cross and their decision to follow you wholeheartedly. I pray for every person in this room who needs to be reminded of their value, of their worth, that you created them on purpose for a purpose, that you've placed the highest price tag on their life. They are worth more than Jesus, than, than the blood of Jesus. God gave his son for them. He is worth, they are worthy. And their worth comes from you. Help them to know that today. And for all of us in the room who may say that like, maybe it's just our priorities. We've made some small stuff the big stuff, which is left, left less room for the things that are actually important in our life the things that actually matter. Help us to get our priorities in check. Help us to embrace our individual, our personal limits, to make you the priority, the center of it all. And when we do that, we have room for all of the other stuff. Help us today to recognize who you are and who you want to be in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.